My name is Craig Kulish. I am one of the elders here. And with Pastor Matt being gone, I have been given the uh, challenge to pick up where he left off and to deliver the Word of God in Ephesians 5. I'm going to change this podium real quick. So, we ask the Lord to be with us. It's a... I've been given the challenge to give a very challenging message in Ephesians 5. And uh, I pray the Lord is with us. I pray He gives me grace. Um, and I pray He gives us grace as followers of Christ. That we may hear His word and respond. That He would speak to our hearts. He would encourage us to walk closer to Him. Um, I would say, let us pray, but that is my prayer. Be with us, O Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so Pastor Matt left off in... uh, Whoa, that's going to make it a little more difficult. (laughs) Might be a little more appealing, though, if you can't see me. Pastor Matt left off in Ephesians 5. If you have a tablet or phone, you're going to be able to read it much easier. Let there be light. And there was. And he said it was good. Um, last week in Ephesians 5, verses 1 and 2, we are looking at, as Matt finished and spoke of, be imitators of Christ. Walk in love. And that Christ's love and sacrifice for the church um, was well-pleasing to God. A sweet aroma. God was pleased with what Jesus did. Um, Today we are going to be looking at verses 3 and for Brian McLean, I am going to end in verse 14. Yes, because 15 is a new sentence and I'll let him take the entire sentence. Before we go into this text, I want to review with you just a little bit um, about Ephesus and the church that was in Ephesus. So um, a brief recap. Ephesus was one of the largest cities in the Roman Empire. I had read that it could have been maybe the third largest city. Um, Very populous. An extreme number of people, up to maybe 300,000 I had had read and studied. Um, For that time, uh, probably quite quite large. Um, It was a major port city. It was on a coast. And I wish I'd had a map, but I don't. Um, And it also had great trade routes that were going out of it. So economically, there was a lot of transactions that took place there. People coming, people going, product coming in, product going out. 
Uh, I don't believe probably employment was, was a problem. Uh, Ephesus was a very, may I call it a progressive city. I think of America today, and you think of some of these cities that are, you know, just the capital of popularity and advertising and business, where all the movers and shakers are, and if you're young and upcoming, you want to be there. And it's kind of weird, because I have two children that are in one of these types of cities. Um, We might think of Los Angeles, where my son Micah is. We might think of New York, or I have come to understand that Atlanta in, in our nation is one of these cities that is you know, for all of the up-and-coming new people. I mean, it's hip and cool and the place to be. And my daughter, Victoria, is there. Um, And I'm giving you this history for a purpose. In Ephesus, there was a uh, huge amphitheater. Because they didn't have electricity, they didn't have movie theaters and, and the phone center down in Cedar Rapids, They had amphitheaters. I mean, and this amphitheater I had read held as little as 25,000 and as much as 50,000. So we think of football games that just occurred yesterday, and let's not think a lot about it, but um, (laughs) because, again, the Hawkeyes and the Cyclones is going to be displayed to us in this church. A very similar, real difference. Um, the amphitheater, 25 to 50,000 people. Also there was a temple to a god, Diana, or Artemis. Um, Greek civilization, which Rome came in and took over. They incorporated a lot of these religious, if you would call it, customs and and event centers this this temple was huge i had heard that it was one of the seventh largest uh wonders of the ancient world i mean a huge temple to diana because it was in the port city because there was trade coming in and out because ephesus was this hip city they sold uh, statues and mini coliseums. They sold coins. They sold trinkets. We can see an event that happened there with Paul, not in this passage, that caused him trouble because of the impact he was having on their false god industry. Um, it was a tourist attraction of places. You wanted to go there. You wanted to see this city. It it was a very huge city. Um, Now the, the differences that we had in that city or the challenges to the Christians that lived there was that we had a huge Jewish population. 
You know, when Rome came, I talked a little bit about this in our Sunday school with the kids. When Rome would come into a land and they would take over, they would move people out and they would bring their own people back in. They would try to destroy the culture of that area and bring Roman or Greek culture in. So in this city of Ephesus, many Jews were taken out of Judea or Jerusalem area and brought up there. Similar to a city called Tarsus that we studied in our uh, high school, middle school, Sunday school class today. Huge group of Jewish people brought up to Ephesus. They were taught and instructed in the Greek or Roman ways. They were surrounded by the Greek and Roman culture, yet they held at their core their, their Jewish belief system the law and the prophets, Abraham, Isaac, and Moses, Jacob, Joseph, and and they, they held that belief. Also in this city, well, many of those Jews, Israelite people, became saved. We had a Christian church, a people of followers of Jesus in Ephesus that had Jewish history and we had a great number of people in that church who had Greek history. And like the Hawkeyes and the Cyclones sitting in this room today, there was conflict. Much of what we've read in the book of Ephesus is about interacting with one another how to love the brethren. A different history, a different background, a different education style. And yet now we are in the body of Christ. A challenge to them was, how do we love? How do we become one body? Another challenge to the Ephesus church was the culture that they were in. And I would say even more than the football analogy, this is big in our world. Because as followers of Christ and Christians, we are in a culture that is completely opposed to what we believe. That, that, that the truth of Scripture is what we should stand upon and live according to. And, and our culture is saying, you do what feels right, and you do what meets your need, and you do what benefits you. And that, that is contrary to much, if not all, of what the New Testament tells us. So we see the same challenges that many of the Christians in Ephesus did. How do I live in a pagan city in a culture opposed to God, and yet how do I behave as a Christian? Easton, I better go back to my notes. <laughs> Inside joke. Sometimes I veer. Um, of the city of Ephesus, Paul visited there two different times we read of in the Bible. Once it was just for a short period of time. Once he had stayed there up to two or three years. In the city of Ephesus, um, 
Timothy actually was sent there to be a pastor. We know of Timothy. We hear Paul say, don't let anyone despise you for your youth and such. That's where he went. Um, Challenges in the church. We went through that. Let us go to the text, if we may, because this is where the rubber meets the road and it becomes challenging. Um, Verses, we'll start in verse 3. Ephesians 5.3, and I'm reading from the English Standard Version today. Paul says to the church in Ephesus, but sexual immorality and all impurity or covetousness must not even be named among you as is proper among the saints. Let there be no filthiness, nor foolish talk, nor crude joking, which are out of place. But instead, let there be thanksgiving. Paul jumps right into this headlong. And he tells the followers of Christ in Ephesus, this is how a Christian lives. This is directions to us. Christians living in a culture that is opposed to God. I, you know what's going on in our world concerning the opinion of sexual interaction between men and women, and not only men and women, and not only pseudo-men and pseudo-women, I mean, it's just, we are in a pagan culture. But Paul says, let not sexual immorality or fornication or impurity even be named among you. The Greek or Gentile Christians may have had a history different than the Israel Christians, Israelite Christians, the Jewish people. But Paul says, it isn't what your history or your culture presents or tells you what is acceptable. I am telling you what is acceptable to God. Remember verse 2, a sweet-smelling aroma that God was pleased with what Jesus did. You and I can be a sweet-smelling aroma to, to God as well. But he says to do so, let these things not even be named above you, among you. Paul is addressing, now this is something here too, Paul is not addressing the world. He is not addressing the unsaved in Ephesus. He is addressing the church. He is addressing you and I. And because of our modern day, we have, some may have active participation in immorality. 
how many have inactive participation in immorality in the church? This is a challenge. Devices and screens. You don't participate, but you view in, in such we inactively participate in these actions. And Paul is calling us out as Christians and saying, let it not be named among you. In person or in proxy, put it, put it far from you. I want to read a quote, if I may. 2 Corinthians 6.17 Paul speaking to the church in Corinth, they also had a temple, and it was maybe even more extreme in sexual immorality than this temple. He says to the Christians there, come out from among them and be ye separate. No, yeah, yeah, he says that to the Christians. Come out from among the culture. Come out from what you've been brought up in. Come out from what is socially acceptable and be separate unto me. Be different. 1 Peter 1.16 says, Be holy, for I am holy. This is a challenge for each of us, if not actively, passively. I want to look at a, uh, another verse he says here or I mean another word that he brings up, not just sexual immorality and fornication, not impurity, but they throw in here as well, covetousness. Why is covetousness thrown in with this? And as we continue to read, we will find that he calls covetousness idolatry. He says that do not be covetous, for it is idolatry. Let's look at the text, and we'll bring that portion in, because we only read verse 3 and 4. Verse 5. For you may be sure of this, that everyone who is sexually immoral, immoral or impure, or who is covetous, and that is idolatry, has no inheritance in the kingdom of God. Why, why does he bring covetousness in at this point? I want to look at what covetousness is a little bit. Um, covetousness, he, re- he refers to it as being idolatry. Or that is an idolater. Coveting is desiring what somebody else has. You know, you and I, and we think, Lord, if I just had that boat, if I had that house, if I had that larger vehicle, if I had that newer vehicle, if I had that wife, if I had that item, if I had that position, if I had that kind of respect, if I had that ability that he or she has, then my answers would be, I would have my answers. My life would be solved. My life would be easy. My life would be better. And when we begin to focus our attention on that other item or trait or ability, 
or position, that becomes the answer to our problem, and that becomes the God that gives us peace and security and safety. And we can see that covetousness is a big thing. He throws it in there with sexual immorality and impurity. I have been covetous at times in my life. I look around and I think they've got it made. I look sometimes at the world and I think how easy they have it. But when we take our eyes and we place it upon an item or an image or a person or an ability, that becomes our God. We put our peace and our comfort and our safety and our answer in that. The truth is, the security for my future, my peace when I'm in time of trouble, when I'm financially hurting, the Lord is my answer. He is the one that comes to my rescue. And at times... When I stay in that time of trouble, the Lord is with me and He's got a purpose. Many times we look for the escape and that becomes our God. Covetousness is huge in the Scripture and in many other places. I want want to look at something that I didn't This may be a good point to bring it in. He's talking to the Christians in Ephesus, the followers of Christ. He's not talking to the sinners, the unsaved. Sinners sin. They don't feel bad about it because the Lord hasn't brought the conviction and the relationship to them at that point. For one reason or another, I don't know when it will come. We are to be a light. We'll see that later. We're to be a witness in this world. But Christians, he is calling us to be imitators of Christ. Verse 1. Sin or sin? I'm talking to you. Excuse me. I'm not talking to you, Paul. The Lord God is talking to us. Christians imitate Christ. Sinner's sin. And Paul says, I'm talking to us. So let's look at verse 4. Instead of just encouraging us, he also warns us. Let there be no filthiness. Let there be no foolish talk, no crude joking, which is out of place. But instead, let there be thanksgiving. Verse 5, For you may be sure of this, that everyone who is sexually immoral or impure or who is covetous, that is an idolater, has no inheritance in the kingdom of God. Huge, strong statement. Let's go back to filthy 
vulgar speech, foolish talk, and crude joking. Because, and that was verse 4, but instead, let there be thanksgiving. As a Christian, I remember in high school, I don't know if it was a youth leader or a pastor of a church, my mother or father, they encouraged me greatly to take yourself out of situations. I pass that on to my children. When you are in the locker room and the conversation becomes about the movie, the girl, the guy, crude joking, remove yourself from the conversation. It is not good for you to stay in that. Some of us hear this. Some of us may watch this. And it's a challenge to us as Christians. Challenge to me. Time's pressure is on in my life. And I think, did, did I, I, I just swore. What in the world's going on that I am portraying that image in this circle of people? The Lord doesn't want me to have crude, vulgar speech. They are out of place with those who are Christians. Sometimes we're not actively in the discussion. We're not making the joke. But how many times are we watching the joke? How many times are we hearing the discussion? Are we seeing something played out that is crude, that is vulgar? And we participate in it. Christ says it is not fitting for Christians, the followers of Christ. But instead, let there be thanksgiving. I had a scripture written down concerning this as well in Romans 12 too. You, you know it. As soon as I start it, you'll be able to finish it. And be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you might be able to prove what is good and acceptable and perfect. You know, the phrase garbage in, garbage out, and people talk about it with young people and health, Eat good food and you'll be strong. And, and, and we talk about it as well. What you view and what you participate with, with conversation. The Lord says, don't be conformed, but be transformed. He's calling us out. Come out from amongst them and be separate. For it is not fitting for those who are Christians. Um... I want to look at that, but be thankful. Thankfulness in our dialogue with one another. Um, is there something beneficial? Is there something that has value or worth? Is there something that builds up? Is there something that 
we can be thankful for. And if there is, then participate in that. But this other, let it be put far from you. This is a huge challenge in our lives. We're living in a culture that is completely contradictory to what Christ has called us to be. And yet, He's called us to be different, be separate. Um, You may say, let's look at that verse 5. For you may, you may be sure of this, that everyone who is sexually immoral or impure or who is, a, or who is covetousness, covet, a coveter, has no inheritance in the kingdom of God. But, is many times our, our response in our head. But God, verse 6, let no one deceive you with empty words. I'm sorry, but this is true, and it's scripture. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. As we began this passage, verse 1, be imitators of God as beloved children. He makes a distinction here. Sons of disobedience. We, the whole book of Galatians has been talking about how we have been made new in Christ. We have a new identity. We have a new body that we are a part of, that we are part of this group. Put off the old man and put on the new. And he says here, and he challenges, are you a child, a beloved child of God? Or are you a son of disobedience? Because that's what they do. Sinner sin. Christians imitate Christ. Don't let anyone deceive you with vain words. I want to be a sweet smelling aroma unto Christ. First four chapters of Galatians was being in Christ and the salvation and the work of what Jesus did to make us new creatures in Christ. And Paul says, now it's time, examine yourselves, where are you? It is serious. In 1 John, he speaks of, uh, uh, there's a Sunday school going on in the 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John, I believe, and he speaks of, if you sin. And in that book, there is a huge emphasis on those words, if you continue in sin. And he makes a distinction, if we, if we could read Greek, an occurrence in your life versus a continual event. I gave you the, the instance of pressure being on and, and being upset and, and frustrated. and it, Believe it or not, it probably was about the election. 
And I was frustrated and I just swore. I remember the guy, he rents the back of my shop and I reflected thinking, this is not the image I want to put forward. There is a difference between an occurrence in a Christian's life and a continual lifestyle of the Christian. And this is where Paul is saying, what is your continual lifestyle? Are you accepting this culture as part of your life or are you called out and being separate? And he says, if you, if you're just continuing in the old man and the old ways, and if you're sexually immoral, and if you are involved in vulgar speech, continually search your heart. Because are you a child of God or are you a child of disobedience? We need to. We need to look at it. Um, let's continue on. Verse 8, at one time you were darkness, and this is where he comes to, and this is what he's taught, and this is what the whole book was about. One time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of the light. Sinner, sin, Christians reflect Christ. Verse 9, for the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true. You know, I gave a teaching seen months ago about the being connected to the vine and allowing the fruit of the Spirit to flow through us and it shows that we're alive. We have the life of Christ in us because we have the fruit of the Spirit. And at that point, we made reference to Galatians and it talks about the fruit of the Spirit is love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and long-suffering and a couple of more. Here he says the fruit of the light are those things which are good and those things which are right and those things which are true. In John 8, verse 12, he says, Then Jesus said to them, I am the light of the world. He that follows me shall not walk in darkness, but shall have the light of life. The fruit of life is found in all that is good or godly. Found in all that is right or righteous. Found in all that is true or truthful. I actually made a note here in my notes that said this might be a good time for an altar call. And I put a smiley face there. I'm not going to have an altar call, but you know what? Sometimes it's sobering. Sometimes we look and we say, God, help. Because I'm I'm not all that is good and I am not all that is righteous and I am not all that is truthful. And it is good for us to sometimes come before the Lord and fall at our knees. May our conversation... May our lifestyle be good and true and righteous. I want to look at verse 10 because I have a whole passage here. I can't just stay. 
and tried to discern what is pleasing unto the Lord. And I look at that verse and that word there that says, and tried to discern. Verse 10. And try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. Try to distinguish. Try to display. Try to make evident. Try to show what is pleasing to the Lord. Are we the children of light? If so, let us reflect the light. I love John the Baptist. It's somewhere in here. I'm not sure where, but John the Baptist, he said to a group of people, I am not the one. I am not the light. I have come to bear witness of the light. You and I are called to reflect the life of Christ within us. Children of God imitate Christ. Let's look at verse 11. That was on the board just a bit ago. And we're going to go through 13. Take no, un, take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. For it is shameful to even speak of the things that they do in secret. But when anything is exposed by the light, it becomes visible. We are children of the light. As we live reflecting Christ as the fruit of the light is in us. We, we, we sang the first song and it had a verse in it about this. We are not the light. We reflect the light. And everything, everyone who follows the light, Jesus said, I am the light of the world. Everyone who follows the light becomes a reflector of that light. Do not participate in them, yet exposed the de- those deeds. Verse 13, when anything is exposed by the light, it becomes visible. For anything that becomes visible is light. Therefore it says, awake. We'll get into that. I have a little bit more before we go into 14. This is a hard series of scriptures to go through. Because though we are saved, we are not completely delivered from the sin of this world that is all around us. A big word could be sanctified. Day by day, we are being converted more and more to reflect Christ. And whatever stage we might be in, I pray that we're growing. I pray that passages like this that call out Christians to live like Christians, when passages like this begin to convict us and weigh heavy on us, As Christians, I pray we go to the Lord. Because when we first got saved, I pray it was because you realized that I'm bankrupt and I am destitute 
and I have nothing truly of value. I am corrupt, and I need a Savior. We responded to the conviction of God in our life. And today, after we read passages like this, and it begins to prick our heart of things we participate in, things we see, things we passively involve ourselves in, conviction of God does not leave us there. Conviction of God brings us to a point of repentance. And I love in 1 John 1.9, if we confess our sins, back again to the John study that they're doing, if you are a follower of Christ, if you confess your sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. This is the life of the Christian. We came to him through acknowledging sin, seeing him as our Savior, and repentance. And throughout our Christian life, we visit these times where we must repent of sin and come to Christ as our Savior. Verse 2, because the work of Christ and the love for the body was very pleasing to God. We come to Christ, and we are converted, yet day by day, more and more into His image. Todd, if you'd like to come up and start, we're going to be transitioning into um, communion. Verse verse 14. If the conviction of the Lord is upon us, there is a passage here that is quoted from, I believe it's Isaiah 60. If we can go to verse 14, it says, For anything that becomes visible is light. Therefore it says, Awake, O sleeper. Arise from the dead, and Christ will shine upon you. If we've found conviction through this passage of Scripture, Awake. Christians, come to Christ. Forgiveness is promised. And not only forgiveness, but the cleansing from all unrighteousness. Awake, O sleeper, arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Lord, you are the light of the world. You have called us to be lights set on a hill, visible to all those around as children of God to be imitators of God and there are times Lord when it's so true evident and real that we have not uh, shine seen your light allowed your light to be shined to those around fill us O Lord God 
deliver us from the culture around and the things that we have assumed, the things that we've been raised in, the things that we have participated in. And Father, by your grace and your power, that we might come out and be separate. We come to the communion table because this is the power of the gospel. Christ died that we might be saved, that we might be converted, called out of darkness and into the kingdom of light, that the old things might pass away and behold, the new life has come. We remember the work of Christ and the love for the church because that was pleasing to God. And Father, we come to you through the blood and the broken body of your son, Jesus. Convict us. Draw us to yourself. May we be your children. I pray this in Jesus' name. We've got the communion tables on the two sides and in the back. Come up. Go back as you're ready. Conviction does not leave us destitute. Conviction brings us to the Lord. And He is good.